Welcome to All Out Living, the podcast dedicated to providing you tools, information, advice, motivation, and much, much more in the areas of fitness, health, wellness, and style, helping you live an all-out life. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Orange Theory Fitness, Brownsville, home of the best one-hour workout in fitness. Orange Theory, a one-hour full-body workout, heart rate-based interval training, if you're looking for accelerated results, go see our friends at Orange Theory. Keep burning. Welcome back to All Out Living. I just wanted to thank our sponsor, Orange Theory Fitness Brownsville, for their support uh, of the show. And not only are our friends at Orange Theory delivering a great product, but they're building a great community and keeping members motivated and engaged. Uh, I want to congratulate everyone who completed the Transformation Challenge. Weigh-ins were over the weekend. Uh, the results are being analyzed, and we should have a winner announced this weekend at our Transformation Challenge party. So congratulations to all the participants. We've seen tremendous results so far, and I hope that that's just the beginning of your journey. Here at All Out Living, we hope to come to you weekly with guests from all walks of life and backgrounds who can share a perspective and provide information about fitness, health, wellness, and much, much more. Uh, fitness and health is a lifelong journey. We want to provide you with the resources and motivation you need to live an all-out life. So here we go. What an honor to be in the presence of an Olympian. Herman, welcome to the show. Herman Medrazo, an Olympian, Ironman, endurance athlete, father, and most impressive, uh, father of triplets. That is correct, Eddie. <laughs> Thank you so much for the invite. Absolutely. So uh, what an amazing journey seeing you and finally getting to meet you. But you just come off competing in the Winter Olympics in, in, in South Korea, correct? That is correct. And uh, all of it training here in South Texas. For Winter Olympics, because, of course, that's just an, a given, right? We're, we're the Winter Olympics training uh, capital <laughs> of, of America, no? Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> the event that you participated in and you represented Mexico, correct? That is correct. I represented Mexico. Uh, the event was cross-country skiing, 15-kilometer freestyle. So 15-kilometer, how far is that in miles for those of us who are unfamiliar? Yeah, so that'll be about nine miles. Um, and uh, what's very particular about the cross-country ski competition is the nature of the course. It's all uphill. All uphill? It's pretty much all wow. uphill because everything that goes up must come down, right? Yeah. But in a... a when you consider the amount of time it takes you to go up and the, the little amount of time that it takes you to recover and rest a little bit while going down, then it's, it's pretty much all up. Awesome. So we're, I want to get into so much because I, I think uh, getting in the head of an endurance athlete, we had one of your friends, our friends, uh, Jeremy. Yeah. Uh, he was a first ever podcast guest, and it, it was really fascinating to learn about how much time and dedication and focus goes into training for an endurance event. But aside from your Winter Olympics, that that we were all so excited to have someone from the real Grand Valley right here in our backyard represent uh, our sister country that that most of us uh, you know have ties or roots in. But you're also an Ironman competitor, correct? That is correct. I've done 18 Ironman so far last year. I got to compete in the Ironman World Championship in Kona, Hawaii. My goodness. And yeah, it was the experience of a lifetime, but it was also pretty hard because it's something that I have dreamt about my whole life, something that I've been pursuing for so long. And then it happens precisely on the year that I'm trying to qualify for the Olympic Games. So it was not a good match. My goodness. I want to get back to that. I want to make sure to get back to how you balance the Ironman and Winter Olympic training. But... Also, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a chance to, to brag on your triplets. Tell me, I, and they're four years old, but tell, tell me about your family. Yeah, well, um, I got married 15 years ago. Uh, then we moved about six years ago here to the Valley. Um, we had been trying to, to have kids for, for almost 11 years, but we hadn't succeeded. Um, we opened our store here, uh, the running store. And um, we just started operating and just started, you know, just living a life thinking that kids are not in our life plan, that that is not going to happen. And then all of a sudden uh, we saw a doctor 
we did some tests and he said well you know the chances if you haven't done it in 11 years the chances of it happening are, are very slim but we can try one more time and uh, um, that one more time uh, produced triplets three kids boy and two girls yeah, right uh, exactly a boy and two girls are uh, they're four years old right now and that is actually one of the reasons why I only had one year to train for the for the Olympic I want I'm a father of two and and I, I laugh because they're four years apart so we had a little bit of uh, break between diapers and the next one and car seats in the next one I can't imagine having three at the same time so you know I think that's your greatest endurance feat today is having triplets but iron I want to go back to the Ironman World Championship I did not realize that you qualified for Kona I want to hear all about that um, obviously what, what drew me to you uh, initially was you being at the Winter Olympics and we were glued to the TV my wife and I I, I love the Olympics uh, so so much I, I think both winter summer I just think that uh, I can appreciate having grown up an athlete the dedication it takes to get to that level I never reached that level but I, I knew what it took at least and I had some experience with that but before we get to that one more thing I, but before we talk about your, where you were born and your journey getting to McAllen Texas tell me about your business we are here in your store and I want an opportunity for you to share a little bit about what you do here perfect thank you very much so what we do here is a running specialty store. Everything running you can find here, um, from the shoes, the shirts, the shorts, the watches to run, uh, to the advice. That's the most important part. What we do here is the fitting of the shoes. So we try to help you select the most adequate shoe for, for the type of running you're going to be doing. Or even the running groups as well. We have uh, two running groups that run from the store. We've got uh, right now a little over 100 runners showing up um, and it's been the journey of a lifetime I can tell you that I don't feel that I've worked a single minute in the past six years although I'm probably here sometimes even up to like nine hours per day and uh, but I, it doesn't feel like work you're blessed yes. you're blessed I'm sure there's a lot of folks listening that uh, would love to be in that situation I feel the same with what we do at Orange Theory and even the other things I do with practicing law and this podcast it's all a work of joy and passion so we are truly blessed my friend um, so let's talk about where you were born uh, and, and where you grew up I was born in Mexico City in uh, 1974 a couple couple of days ago <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm a, a 70s baby too okay you're good, in good company <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a rookie um, I grew up uh, I grew up in in uh, San Miguel de Allende and Querétaro oh so such a beautiful place yeah beautiful place but um i would say that uh aside from school because that's where i went to school but aside from school most of my time was spent in in, in brownsville and in um in uh, tamaulipas because oh. my father's business was a ranch uh, cattle ranch so we would go back and forth between um we would spend the whole summer with him at the ranch working but since there was no electricity at the ranch uh, me and my mom would spend some time in Bronzeville while he would go back and forth. And then when school started, we would go back. So most of my childhood was spent with, between the ranch in Tamaulipas and Querétaro. And, uh, were you athletic as a child? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. my, mom, my mom got me. So um, when I was growing up, you had two obligations. One of them was school. The other one was sports. And you could not do without either one of them. I mean, it was like... It, there was not a, it was not an option to be like, oh, mom, I feel sick. I'm not going to go to school. It's like, no, you get dressed and you're going to school unless you have a fever. Right. It, the same option was not available for sports is you're going to go train right now and I don't care. You're going unless you have a fever. And what was the sport you were training for at the time? Swimming. 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 Really? And that's where the dream started. Um, when I was about eight years old, I met the first Olympian I've ever met. Um, his name is uh, Dr. Ravel. And he told us all of his stories uh, from when he went to the Olympic Games. And he became such a huge inspiration to all of us. Plus, he was the dad of two of my fellow swimmers, my, my, my teammates. And it was just from that moment, the, the only thing that occupied my mind. And it was the only thing that occupied my mind for the following probably 10 years of my life. From 8 to 18, the goal was I'm going to make it to the Olympics in swimming. Yep. And you train hard every day to, to make that a reality. Exactly. And, 
why swimming? Because not not to be stereotyped, but most people that were uh, friends that grew up in Mexico, it's soccer, right? Yeah. And so, so tell me how, how you were exposed to swimming. That part I would have no idea. I think uh, my mom just said, hey. Uh, Pick we, something. <laughs> we, yeah. Well, you know, also um, we used to go to Acapulco a lot. And, uh, and in <clears throat> the ranch, the river runs through the ranch. And we're only a couple of, a couple of miles away from La Pesca. So we would, whenever we were there, we would always go to the beach. Uh, we would always be swimming in the river. So my mom was very concerned about that. So she, she put me into swimming classes to make sure that I would not drown. And then it came obvious, it became obvious pretty quickly that I had a talent for it. And I just, I just never, I just never got out of the classes. I just continued it. It seems like as a teenager, you competed, you swam, you, yeah. t- tell me a little bit about that. You said for those next 10 years, you worked really hard to, mm-hmm. in competitive swimming. Um, I, I, I think the winter, this past winter Olympics was your, your first winter Olympic games, right? Yeah, that is correct. So, uh, Unfortunately, I wish you would have, but unfortunately, you didn't make it in swimming. So tell me about that journey, how you ended your your swimming Olympic aspirations and then transition into maybe Ironman training. It seems like you've been doing that a while now. Yeah, yeah. Um, 12 years now. But uh, so, yeah, um, swimming was going very good um, for for about four or five years. We lived in Mexico City and I was training at the Olympic Development Center in Mexico, Sedom. Um, and everything was going really good in swimming. Then we moved to a smaller city, Querétaro, where I spent the rest of my life um, up until the point where I came over here. Um, and what happened was when we moved from Mexico City to Querétaro, the program in Querétaro for swimming was non-existent. There was no coaches. There was no development. It was just a team here and there. It was a pretty good team, a very solid team. Um, but, you know, the one where you had one, one talented guy that would make it to the Central American Games, and uh, probably never got past that point. We started running as cross training on the off season, and I discovered my my true love in running. When we started running, I, I just I just felt free. It just felt the right thing to do. So a couple of years later, when I figured that I wasn't going to make it in swimming, and also I was getting a lot of pressure from my parents. I was a very good sportsman growing up, but not, I wasn't that good of a student. <laughs> so my dad said, well, hey, son, uh, we're going to focus a little more on the school side of things, and you know, you still have to practice sports. There's no, uh, there's no way out of that one, but I just want you to focus more on school. And um, my dad and my mom were always very strict, and I started I, I started focusing on school more than sports, but I kept on running. And then a few years later, I discovered that there was a, p- a way to connect my two passions, my passion for swimming and my passion for running, and that was triathlon. But before we get to that, because I think the triathlons and doing 18, competing in the, in the World Championship, kept that fire of competing at the highest level in endurance sports alive, which I think ultimately probably led you to the Winter, winter Olympics in cross-country skiing. But I like to talk to our guests about their childhood. We have a lot of parents that listen to the show. I'm a parent, and I'm, I'm really interested in developing a passion uh, for something in my ki- in my kids. You know, my daughter's on her little journey with maybe uh, theater and acting, and my son maybe golf. We'll see. Follow his dad's footsteps. But did your parents? It seems like they pushed you. Uh, you know, there's this debate now, especially now, about the approach to take with kids. Do we push them? Do we let them find their own journey, their own path? Uh, and, and and what's the difference between the two? So it seems like your parents were strict, and they push you to train hard and stick with sports. Super strict, and uh, they pushed me hard, but they also supported me a lot. My parents, one of them, or both of them, or my grandma, were at every single swim meet from the time that I started till the very end. I mean, um, they were always there. They were always driving me to the swim meets. They were always driving me to practice. Um, at, at some point, we moved closer to the pool, so I would walk to the pool because it was only like a five-minute walk, and then I, I enjoyed it because I was already running, so I would run to the pool, uh, train, and then run back from the pool. Um, but yes, I think um, I think that was the right move. I think that was the right way to do it. Uh, they pushed me, they pushed me, and then they created this discipline 
that now today when I'm giving talks and I'm telling people that you have to be disciplined, you have to be courageous, you have to have that ability to motivate yourself to get up every day, do train, do what you need to do, and then do it again the next day. And that discipline was formed in me since I was very, very young. And I so think you that weren't born with it. Your parents, how, I mean, you may have had that as a trait, but it seems that your parents con- insisting that you train hard, insisting that you work hard, helped really develop that trait and that discipline. Yeah, exactly. And I'm so grateful for that because um, most of what I am today, most of the things that I've accomplished in my life are thanks to that drive, thanks to that pushing me not allowing me to give up. Uh, giving up was never an option at home. I mean, you know, you 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 could say like, "Hey, I don't want this no more." Okay, let's 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 choose another one. Let's see what you like. But but it's not like, "Oh, I didn't do good this weekend. I don't like it anymore." It's like, "No, no, no, no. You keep on training. Uh you you do good. And when you win, when you're on top, you decide you don't want to do it no more. Okay, we'll look for something else, but we're not going to let you just quit. We're not going to let you just walk away." Well, I think that's great. I think as a as a parent of, of two young kids myself, I, I, I think I grew up in such a strict household as well. I always thought, man, I'm not going to push my kids. I'm going to let them find their own way. But there's something to be said about that. There's something to be said. I, I'm, I'm very driven now. My dad was also extremely strict. So I don't want to discount that as an option, right? Yeah. on how to approach raising my kids because because you always have to be respectful i mean my mom and my dad were very respectful um i always had my privacy i always had my choices but it was very clear it, like we provide everything for you you don't need to worry about nothing and then the only thing that we ask in return is that you excel at sports and excel at school Thank God I had sports, because otherwise <laughs> I would have been fried. <laughs> You're 50% the way there. Okay, you, you get through school, um, and when we spoke earlier, you mentioned you had this dream of making the Olympics. Yeah. And that uh, when you saw that swimming initially, and you're, it seemed like you had access to coaching and different things that maybe kept you from, from getting to that next level to give you a shot at, at qualifying for the Olympics with the Mexican team, you you didn't give up on that dream of the Olympics. So I tell me a little bit about that. I never gave up on that dream. That's why when I started this journey, I started using a hashtag that was um, called Frozen Dreams. And pretty much what it meant was that the dream never died. It was always there. I just kind of kept it in the freezer waiting for someday to use it. And then it just, it was so funny because it's something that I always told myself. And it's so funny because the now it was literally frozen in snow <laughs> yeah yeah so um yeah the the dream continued um you're I, competing in ironmans at this time right well, no 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 okay. at this time i'm i'm barely starting college oh okay, okay. yeah i'm competing in triathlons i'm running um i have a, a really really big setback that gives the be- the first big setback and the first time where i actually had to decide that no is not always the right answer, and that when someone says no, there's, um, I mean, unless it's something really bad, you know, but there's always a way to go around a no. Um, A doctor told me, you'll never run again. Your knees are destroyed, your knees are completely worn out, and that's why you have so much pain, and my advice is never, ever, ever run again. By the way, don't bike anymore, because it's the same type of of movement that, that has gotten your knee to the way it is. Um, so I was very young at that point, and my dad and my mom kind of freaked out a little bit, said, okay, you're going to keep on swimming, but you're not allowed to run. But I was 18 at that moment, uh, 19, and I knew a little better. Um, so I stopped for a couple of years. I actually gained a lot of weight, um, something that, I, that um, it, it, my body changed a lot, you know, from being completely athletic the whole time, always movement, to spending maybe two, maybe three years, I don't even remember, not moving at all. Uh, a lot of things changed. And this is your college years? This is, these are my college years, which are my prime right. years, right? Well, I moved to Monterrey. I started um, going to school there. And uh, Tech de Monterrey has the most competitive teams. If, if there was another chance to make it, it was right there. But I wasn't training then because of, because of what, what that doctor said. 
Um, so while living in Monterrey, I had a very, very bad case of a, it, it was a, a, a cold and then it turned into a flu. And so I'd been sick for like six weeks and I just wanted to get rid of that. I went to the doctor and the doctor said, hey, why are you limping? I said, oh, it's because my knee hurts a lot. And he said, um, well, why? I told him, oh, the doctor told me this and that gave him the whole story. And he said, no, 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 no. Um, let me let me take a look at it. I think I know what it is. And he examined it and he said, no, no, you're the, your knee is not wrong. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just something that we need to do. Is this is very common with swimmers? Um, your your tendon is a little, one of your tendons is a little stronger, so it's pushing sideways, and we need to release it. And it was released, and then from then on, it was back to Ironman and back oh, to training. Man, that's awesome. You getting sick, getting the flu. Uh, led you to a doctor and you happen to be limping mm-hmm. he noticed and that got you back and and I was limping because I was still trying to run I, I said you know what this is not right this doesn't sound right I feel perfect I don't feel like somebody whose knees are shot so that's why the reason why I was limping and and the reason why we got into this whole conversation with the doctor well that is fascinating um, you did go through that experience, I think, and I helped you maybe appreciate your health a little bit more, that you you were told you weren't going to be able to do it. You gained a little bit of weight. You, you probably had to really try really, really hard to uh, get back in the momentum, but you, you had it in you, and I, I think that a lot of people can relate to that. Those setbacks and, you know, those, those fears of not being able to, to do something and then getting the green light again I think that's a that's a beautiful story okay so now you're back training again you're healthy doctor fixed you up what happens there from your athletics good so when I was a very young kid um, I had there was a, a, a dream was born parallel to the Olympic dream um, I was um, I was on a plane and well, you remember back then you know they gave you these planes these magazines and the, uh, the airplanes that came on uh, between two plastic covers and said, um, property of Pan, Am- Pan American Airlines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they gave me a copy of uh, Sports Illustrated. I was, I was very young at that time. I don't even remember. I was probably 12 years old. And the copy of Sports Illustrated on the back cover had this picture of a man swimming at dawn. And the picture read, the reasons for entering have nothing to do with winning. Underneath, Ironman World Championship Kailua, Kona, Hawaii. How and old were you at the time? I was probably 12. Okay. So uh, what I what happened next is an act of vandalism that I'm about to thank. <laughs> thank God Pan, Am- Pan American Airlines is, is under. The sta- <laughs> yeah, we're past the statute of limitations. They yeah, can't come they, after they can't come after me now. So uh, um, there was, I didn't have a camera with me. There was no cell phones. There was no Google. There was it's no okay. nothing. Yeah. So um, I just turned the page and just ripped it up and uh, ripped it apart and kept it and it was like my treasure and I didn't know what it was all I knew is that I wanted to do that it just looks so it's the reasons for entering have nothing to do with winning swimming open water at dawn I was like this is for me this is what I want to do this is what I need I need to find out what this is it took me forever to find out what it was um, a couple of years later at a summer camp um, I somebody finally explained what it was it's like oh you mean the Ironman oh yeah, yeah I think I know what that is and that's how the Ironman dream came but of course it's something that you go back home and you're like dad I'm gonna do an Ironman yeah. and your dad's like uh, what is that son oh triathlon oh good you're already I doing triathlons yeah <laughs> and then, then when you when you go out and explain the distances your dad's like yeah, I don't think you're gonna do that yeah uh, let's focus on more or realistic like my things. dad would have said that's loco <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I precisely got that, but it was a little more strict. It was like, deja pensar en tonterías. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. I wanted to exercise and lift weights when I was in high school. I was a mm. little bit overweight kid, and back then my dad's like, oh, don't do that. That's bad for your health. That's going to hurt your bones and your muscles. Just entirely different generation. Yeah. So let's briefly touch on your, your Ironman career, and I think we really, I really want to dive into the Olympics. Perfect. And, and, uh, just so that we can stay on time here. T- tell me about um, when you started really competing in, in Ironman. Good. So once I, I got those two um, knee surgeries out of the way, I said, well, you know, if I can run again, I, I tried it and I could. I said, it's time to, to relieve that dream. So unfreeze that other dream that was also frozen. 
I said, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to Hawaii. I'm going to compete at the Ironman world championship. Um, the first step was to try to qualify. So I signed up for my first Ironman in 2007, if I'm not mistaken, in Wisconsin. So I traveled to Ironman, Wisconsin, completed that one, got my butt kicked really hard, yeah. uh, learned the hard way that this is not something that just happens overnight. Right, you um, got to earn it. You got to earn it. Yeah. Um, the following years, I, I kept on competing, training every day, competing in Ironman, um, trying to get a little bit better because my first one um, I did it in 15 hours. So another thing that a lot of people can relate to. Right. Uh, and I said, no, that's not me. I'm not a 15-hour guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get better. I uh, remember a friend of mine telling me like, well, Herman, you, 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 I mean, if you're, if you, if you're a 15 hour guy, you're probably never going to go below 11 or you reach 11 is going to be hard for you, you know? And I said, no, that's not me. So I kept on training. Um, I learning did, everything you can. Learning everything I could. It, yeah. Exactly. Um, I did, I did do a race in 10 hours, 10 hours and 44 minutes. Is that um, the race or the time that qualified you for Kona? No, so what happened was that I hired a coach and I told him, this is my goal, this is what I want to do. And he said, I, I, I need you to understand one thing, and this is very relevant for the Olympic story as well. He said, I need you to understand one thing, Herman. If you want to make it, you're not ready to train, to compete, to qualify. I need, you to, I need to train you so you can now train to compete. I was probably training about 400, 450 hours per week back then, and we built it up to about 800 hours per week. Um, until I got to that point where I was ready. Um, and then he said, uh, the, a new rule came out in Ironman where when you have 12 Ironmans, you can sign up to something called the Legacy Lottery, and it's a way to gain entry to the, to, to the Hawaiian Ironman. Uh, my coach said, I want you to enter the Legacy Lottery. And I said, no, I don't want to. I, I, I can qualify. And he said, I know you can qualify. You're so close to qualifying but I need you to enter that because you're so nervous, you're so focused on this, that if you just get, you already qualify, you already have the right to go. And I think if you get that out of the way, it's gonna, clearing your mind, it's gonna help you race more more, more consistently with what you, the way you're training. He said, right. I, don't, I just don't understand the numbers you produce when you train and the numbers you produce when you race. So I just wanna get that out, out of okay. the way. Okay. So um, I put my name in the hat for the, the legacy spot and it turns out I got it. Awesome. And what year was this? What year did you Last race year. Kona? Last year. Last year. And how did it go? Huh. Not so well. So, um, uh, so we're, we're gonna have to link to the to the Olympic story yeah. to, to, to to explain why. Um, it didn't go that bad, but it didn't. But it's not even close to what I'm capable of doing or what I wanted to do in Kona. When I started with the Olympic dream. I knew that I was not going to get any funding from from the Mexican Ski Federation because it didn't exist. There was no no Mexican Ski Federation. Uh, Mexican authorities are not um, are not they don't support sports and especially not a sport that they don't know. Right. So I was not going to get any money from them. I had already asked or kind of asked, and that the no I got was very very adamant. Yeah, very <laughs> adamant. It was like no way around that one. Right. Um, so I knew I was going to have to self fund the project. At first, I didn't want to ask for help because at first I wanted to know if I wanted to really do this. I mean, I really wanted to go to the Olympic Games, but do I really want to put everything I've got into one sport? Do I really like this sport? Do I really want to do it? So I had to feel it. You know, I had to find my passion for the sport. So um, to pay for the first trip, it was uh, interesting because um, the way the, the way it all started was through a, a, an article. I was yeah, I was going to get to Yeah, so, I was having a discussion so with a friend. Let, 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 let's backtrack a little bit and talk about how cross-country skiing and the rebirth of the Olympic dream came about in your life. Yeah, so um, about four years ago when my kids were born, um, I, was having a, I was having a beer with a friend, and we were having the discussion. Well, it all started because he was criticizing, or they were criticizing, that us marathoners and, and, and runners and triathletes would post our workouts and the things that we do. And they were saying that it's so annoying. And I said, well, you know, it's <laughs> annoying to you, but then you post pictures of your drinks when you go out and that and is so food. annoying and, and your food. And that is so, so annoying. I'm like, I don't, you know, why would I want to see somebody that, just not cool? With I a mean, picture of beer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, a beer, it's okay, you know, yeah. but uh, I mean, like, and then, uh, and, and you're not even promoting anything that's healthy, anything that, that, that other people would like to do. You know, you're not inspiring anybody to do anything good. Uh, if anything, you're, you're, you're inciting people to do something that's not precisely, you know, 
Right, um, right. I hear you. Uh, let's not get into yeah, those political things. Yeah, yeah. But um, so um, while we were having this discussion, I was defending our right to post what we do, what we want to do, to try to inspire others. And then one of them said, "Well, the worst ones are the Ironmans. They think that what they do is so cool, so unique, so." And he said, well, you know, uh, with that amount of time, anybody can do one. And I said, well, you know what? You need that dedication. You don't, it's not anybody. I've, I know of a lot of people that have tried and failed, tried and failed, tried and failed, and eventually did it, you know? And um, so I said, it, and it, I had my times to back up my claims, right? And uh, one of them said, well, you know what? Uh, this is not the hardest sport you can practice. I know there's a harder sport, and I'll prove that to you. I said, oh, yeah, I'm open. Um, yeah. I'd like to hear what you have. Uh, a couple of, uh, a couple of, I don't remember if it was a couple of days later or a couple of weeks later, he sent me an article that said, that read that uh, cross-country skiing is the hardest sport that you can practice, is the most physically demanding sport there is. Um, the reporter that wrote the article went on to say that she had tried to, to do a lap of the 2.5K loop of the Sochi um, Olympic Games course and that she collapsed after just doing one lap that she couldn't even walk, that she was um, she was in bed for a couple of days of how, yeah. how much pain she was in. And um, and so I read it and I said, you know what, this is amazing. I, I really want to Had you ever this. skied before when you were reading this? Uh, no, I didn't even knew that cross-country skiing existed. <laughs> I had done, I had come down a hill, but I had never gone up it, uh, yeah. up of it on skis. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was, I was captivated. So I like to, the first thing that I did is I Googled cross country ski and just started looking at pictures, started looking at reading a little bit about what it was. And I said, you know what? I really have to try this. Um, the article went on to talk about the experiences of, uh, Roberto Carcelen, a guy from Peru that had competed in the, at the Olympic games, as well as Tucker Murphy from Bermuda and, um, and Philip Boyd from Kenya. And I said, well, you know, if there's these three guys from those countries, there should Don't be a Mexican. A, a lot of snow, right? Yeah, yeah, there should be a Mexican. And I started looking for the Mexican, and I couldn't find the Mexican in, 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 in the Sochi games. I couldn't find the Mexican in the Vancouver games, nor the Nagano games or the Salt Lake games or anywhere. So I said, you know what, there's something wrong here. Uh, I think it's time that we get a Mexican to the, to the Winter Olympic Games in cross-country skiing. And at this point, you're just researching. You're just learning. You yeah. actually hadn't gone out and cross-country skied yet. Yeah, precisely. You're just I, getting the motivation exactly. and the information. Exactly. But I had a, a bit of a problem uh, when I got this motivation and when I said, I want to do this because all the research happened in about 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean, course. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> you and I share the same brain, my friend. Yeah, we were. Yeah. Don't, don't think that the, yeah. the research took weeks or years. Right. No, it yeah. was just, it was all done right there. And then, um, I could just close the door, yeah. <laughs> lock it. And then, um, but, um, I had a bit of, uh, a bit of a problem. The kids, um, were born triplets have to be born prematurely. You right. cannot wait the full term on it. There's just no space for them in there. And um, so my wife had the triplets, and they had to stay for a, for a couple of uh, a couple of days. It's not a couple; it was like t um, 14, 15 days at the um, neonatal intensive care unit right. at, at the hospital in uh, Rio Grande Regional. Um, the fabulous doctors, fabulous staff. I was we're so happy that uh, that we went over there, and um, but um, like any other hospital, when we came out. Uh, 14 days plus labor plus it uh, amounted yeah, to about a half a million dollars um and the insurance company was not happy to fork them over mm. so uh the, the the hospital and the insurance company like they went on for about a year to try to recover the money eventually thank god they did we still had to pay some of it ourselves, which I think we're still paying, and we probably will be paying for the next uh, 20 years or 30. Yeah. <laughs> probably my, my kids are going to inherit some of those payments. Whenever they talk back, say, hey, I'm still paying for your life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so there was no way to start cross-country skiing back then. Uh, it was it was just not an option. I'm so grateful that the uh, guys over at uh, Rio Grande uh, Regional um, treated us the way they did because it was always super respectful just reminded us that there that this thing needed to be settled but it was never any pressure but still you know you can't start something new when you have something so big on top of you plus the kids growing up plus the um, business business 
Um, so and you're still, I think, competing in Ironmans at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never stopped. I never stopped because that was something that I didn't have to start. I didn't. I didn't need to take resources away from because those you resources were already there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, I kept on competing. I kept on dreaming about it, uh, but I had to delay it. And I said, well, you know, probably I'm not going to have enough time, but um, I will eventually get to it, and let's see where it leads. Um, three years later, I said it's time. And I, you're a year out from the Olympic Games at this yeah, point. Yeah. Well, at this point, I was actually a year and a half. A year and a half out. Okay. Um, I talked Still to haven't cross-country skied. You haven't tried it at this point. I haven't even tried it at okay. this point. Cause, and, of course, the natural step is I haven't even tried it. Let's qualify for the Olympics, right? Yeah, exactly. That's perfectly logical, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the way that that's yeah. the way my life's always I've never, been. I've never tried wrestling, but you know, I'm gonna try it for the 2020 games. Yeah, yeah. I've I've never biked in my life yet. I want to do an Ironman, and I'm gonna right. do an Ironman. You yeah. know, I don't know how to swim. Let's go for it. No, yeah. well, thankfully I was yeah. a good swimmer and no, a good no, runner. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah. the yeah. only thing is I I didn't own a bike when oh, I. Oh, when yeah. you're talking from self experience. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. your story yeah. with, the, with the Ironman. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and so um, you're you're a year and a half out. You're like, hey, let's get serious about this. I think I can do this. Exactly. Um, and uh, so I contact the coach. Talk to him. We agreed to meet in Michigan in November of 2016. What did you tell a coach that you had to, I guess, share? I, I don't know how to ski, or I've never done this before, but I it's, want you to help me train for the Olympics. Like, how did you convince him to even meet with you? You know, and, and that's a great story. Thankfully, you don't know who you're talking to, right? Right. Thankfully, I was talking to a guy who's as crazy or crazier than I am. Awesome. There so you go. that's so usually it, how it starts. Yeah, that's yeah. usually how it starts. First time that I called Andy and we agreed to meet, he said, "Well, you know, um, I'm not saying you can or you can't. Um, let me see what you've got, and we'll we'll take it from then." Um, I was very fit at the moment. I was probably the fittest I've ever been in my life, and I was ready to compete in Ironman North Carolina where I was certain that I was going to get my ticket. I was going to punch my ticket for Hawaii. <coughs> the times, um, the time, my times running, my time, my, my, my splits, um, what I was swimming, I was, <clears throat> I was ready. I mean, if there was a time when I was ready, it was right there. And then this guy uh, decided to drop a water bottle and look back at the water bottle, veer left in my direction when I was passing, and he just, he just... He just took me with him. We went down really hard. Uh, spent like 25 minutes on the on the uh, just laying on the floor without being able to get up. It was so painful. I was just bleeding all over. So I had to delay again the cross country ski project because of that accident. I called Andy. Said I'm not gonna make it. And he said, Well, I don't know if I'm gonna have time to coach you later because I have a lot of things to do. When I was ready in. January, well, end of December, I started feeling good again, started training a little bit again. I said, you know, I need to do this. I called Andy and said, I'm ready. And Andy said, well, I'm not. Um, I don't have time right now. I really can't do it. I have a lot of things. Then later, um, about three or four days later, um, Andy called me and he said, hey, I've been thinking about it. Um, I really do want to give you a, a chance. Um, I have to take my pulse because he owns a, a, a cross-country ski pole company. Said I need to take my poles down to U.S. Nationals in in Utah. So if you help me drive from Michigan to Utah, I'll teach you. I'll look at you. I'll teach you all you know what I need to teach you, and um, decide what the plan what the plan is. Um, so my first reaction was like, Hey, why do we need to drive? I mean, you know, if I'm gonna have to pay for the, because I had to pay for the whole trip. That was that was his his fee right. and I said well if I'm gonna pay for the whole fee I'd rather pay for for plane ticket than drive right right, right. Uh, and he said no 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 that's impossible because I would have to pay over two thousand dollars worth of uh, extra baggage and and I just want to make sure that I have everything I've got and if I have to pack it and something breaks and no I'd rather drive so drive with it um, I booked a ticket to Michigan not knowing who I was talking to, not knowing if he was a good coach, a bad coach, a serial killer, <laughs> just one like, you know, I didn't knew, like I didn't even knew what his face looked like because um, I told him later, so you realize that your Facebook profile, your picture, pro your profile picture was not, a f was not your face. Like, you had a dog and you had something else. And he's like, oh yeah, I've changed it. I'm like, yeah, you've changed it like two hours ago. Dude, I've met after you three. After I'm here. Yeah, yeah after yeah. I'm here already. 
Um, but it was incredible. Um, it was incredible to, to know and to, to notice that I have more in common with a total stranger that has a common dream than I do with a lot of the, the guys that I grew up with in, in, in school and that they're just, you know, the, the guys that posted the, the drinks on Facebook. Um, right, right. I, I have nothing in common with those with those people, like nothing. Yeah. Um, and yet with this guy, uh, we went down Hit to Utah with 18,000 miles out and back and we just had a blast. That's awesome. In the along the way, he did say, um, "I don't think you're gonna make it. Honestly, um, I think you should not waste your money. Um, I mean, if you want to learn how to cross country ski, uh, come back in March when I'm not as busy as I am right now. I'll teach you. Um, you're gonna have a blast. You're gonna love cross country skiing, but you're not gonna make it to the Olympic Games. It's just, I'm just being honest with you." And I said, "Don't worry, coach. Just teach me. I'm gonna love it. Uh, I'll help you with the expos. I'll help you with. Uh, I'm good at selling, so I'll go with you to the expos. We'll sell your poles." And you'll teach me along the way. And that was the agreement. And that's how I, I got to keep him as a coach. The style that you race changes every four years. So you race classic style one year and skating style the next year. Skating is now called free because um, that's the way it was born. It was like, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> Just make it. Just yeah. make it. Um, you don't have to skate because a lot of people said, we don't want to do that. We want to do classic. And so the rules said, well, if you want to do classic, you can classic on a skate race. And if you want to skate, you can skate. It's up to you. That's why it's called free, free technique. Um, so I was getting all of my points in classic technique and none of them in skating technique or free technique, which was the one that I had to, 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 to race at the Olympic Games. Um, but thankfully, the points count regardless. And, and I, was, um, I was doing pretty good. But I came back home and I had no bikes. Um, the real training started there because uh, my, my coach taught me how to use the roller skis, and um, a lot of a lot of our friends saw me roller skiing in Mission outside <laughs> of the. Uh, what is, what are roller skis? Can you describe what a roller ski is? Yeah. So imagine um, imagine a, a skate about I would say about about 15 inches longer than a regular skate, and with and instead of having four inline wheels you just have two wheels one at the end one, one on each end okay and that's so a, it feels more like a <clears throat> ski it feels more like a ski so that's roller skiing um i had to learn how to do to use those things and it's ironic because it was so much learning because learning how to ski was one thing but learning how to roller ski was a completely different sport really? like a completely different thing but it's the only way to train for cross-country ski during the summer right so um, I did a lot, I put a lot of hours on, on uh, roller skis in the, in the coming months. Um, then it came to the point where I decided that I had to go to... Um, but it's flat in the valley, so how did you roller ski improvise? Pulling a tire. Pulling a tire. Yeah. So, so you attached a rope to your torso mm -hmm. or to a your waist? Cord, a bungee cord to my waist and just pull the tire and just ski with a tire behind me. My goodness. Tight so much so like so many people laugh it's just not even funny I like the, and it's funny because uh some some days my, my my workouts were cut in half because the state troopers the the border patrols they would stop me and be like what are you doing <laughs> they were so, amazed so you didn't let lack of elevation lack of uh, hills snow uh, or anything else stop you or lack of money lack of <laughs> money you yeah. said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure out a way. You contacted a coach who didn't know you from Adam. Um, you sold things. You volunteered your time. You drove with a man you hadn't even gotten to know from Michigan to Utah uh -huh. because you, you believed in what you were doing. And, and, and you, know, you made it happen. Exactly. And I think that's, that is absolutely amazing. So how did you fast forward, if you could tell us briefly, how did you end up qualifying for the Olympic Games? When did it all come together for you? Well, um, it all started coming together after a trip. Um, it all started coming together after a trip to, to Iceland. I fell in love with the sport. I said, you know what, I, I love this as much as I love the other sports. And once I started feeling that passion, training was really easy. Then after that, I went to do some races in Argentina and Chile. And during those races in Argentina and Chile, I finally realized I was not on my own. I finally met people like me, because all the other races that I had met were 
World Cup racers that were in, in a very different level. So um, that's when I really realized that, you know, there's a shot. Um, <clears throat> I did another race with them. And after that race, I, they told me, it's like, Herman, if you're, if you're ever going to make it, you're good, you're, you're, you're progressing, you can do it. But if you're ever going to make it, you're going to have to spend about two or three months on snow as soon as it falls, because otherwise you're not going to make it. So I made a pact with one, one of them, and I said, hey, we're going to do this together. And he said, yeah, we'll do it together. As soon as, uh, as, soon as, we're re as, soon as I'm ready, I'll, I'll travel to um, Austria. You can come, you can stay with me for a couple of weeks, and we'll see what we can do. And um, we met that we on the last race, on the last day of that last race, we met another guy from Chile who was already qualified. And uh, he didn't have any money to go to Europe to train. Um, and that kind of put in, 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 in risk his, his spot for the Olympic Games. So we told him, like, hey, well, we'll help you. We'll, we'll pay your ticket and you'll train us and you'll teach us all you know. And he said, yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, so we flew over to, we met over there. And one guy flew, for, yeah, one guy flew, flew from Chile to, um, to um, Munich. I flew from McAllen, and uh, the other guy flew from Australia. Uh, he's from Tonga, but uh, you, did, you don't fly from Tonga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like saying, like, oh, I flew from San Benito. No, yeah, you actually yeah. have to, like, drive somewhere, go somewhere. To. Right. Um, he flew from Australia, and we all met in, uh, in, in Munich. We drove down to Austria, to Hidisau. And that's where we started training, training and racing every single weekend, um, failing and falling and just the, and it, calling f for uh, calling friends for money, asking like, hey, can you deposit at least a hundred dollars? We need to pay the hotel tonight, and I just, I don't even have a hundred. And uh, friends, a lot of friends started just depositing money. Um, I didn't put it up on on GoFundMe or anything like that because you know, well, you're gonna in GoFundMe, you're gonna fund an Olympian, right? Not a dr right. not a guy that's just dreaming about it, and so I didn't feel like I I didn't want to do it like that. Um, I didn't feel right, so I just I was just calling people left and right. So we would like ski for five hours every day, and then just call people for another hour <laughs> every day uh, until we got the yeah we we got the funds until we got to the very last race, which was in Iceland. We hadn't qualified by then, but we were so close now. I mean, our our fitness was where it needed to be. Our skills were where they needed to be, but um, we had absolutely no money left. Uh, Pita, my friend from Tonga, he got a he got a plane ticket from his brother. Um, he got it with uh, airline miles, so he got a, a two-way ticket. And um, he said, "Man, you, you need to come. Like whatever you do, you need to come." And I said, "Well, man, I cannot afford it. I mean, I don't have enough money to pay for this ticket." Mm -hmm. He said, "Why don't you just look at the one-way?" And I said, man, you cannot go into a foreign country with a one-way ticket. That's just not how you do things. <laughs> like, they won't allow you in. Like, most, most, uh, I mean, you know, most officers in immigration, they'll check your your your, fly, your way back ticket. Yeah. And if you don't have one, you're not allowed. And he said, well, I don't think you're going to have a problem. Iceland seems to be a pretty laid-back country. Uh, so just do it. So I bought a one-way ticket, flew over there. Uh, we got to that competition uh, on the first day. He so qualified. This is this is your last chance. My last chance. So you qualify. Well, let, let me finish. Let, go ahead and finish the story. So go the ahead. first. So we had the, the the free technique on 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 Saturday and the classic technique on Sunday. <clears throat> the day uh, on Friday there was a, a sprint race, and I helped Jonathan raise the sprint race. Um, I was watching his skis. I was, I was just helping him with everything. And uh, we got very late back to the hotel, and I was feeling terrible. I was having, I was, I was shivering all night. We got up the next day, and I was feeling really bad. I couldn't, like, you know, my race was going terrible. I fell. This, this blister just, just blew, and, like, snow was everywhere. I didn't see anything. I, I skied off course, fell. When I got back up, my pole was not in my hand anymore so I was trying to strap the pole back on while, while, while skiing and when Jonathan caught up to me and um and he thought I was giving up and he got really mad so he stopped and he pushed me he's like go 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 don't stop don't stop don't stop uh that is illegal you cannot oh, you no. cannot do that yeah. and um when we finished um I was trying I was trying to strap my pole and he kept on like pushing and yelling and and just you know you're not going to give up you're not going to give up but it, but uh, I couldn't, like I was telling him, I'm not giving up. But he yeah. wouldn't take, like he wouldn't even listen. He just kept on yelling, I'm not giving up. I'm just trying to strap the damn thing back on. I'm on yeah. a goal. 
um, we finished the race. Um, I had the, the time, the points that I needed to qualify. But you. But I was disqualified. Uh, I was disqualified. And, and I knew, and I told him, I was like, don't touch me again. Please don't touch me. We're going to get disqualified. And he said, uh, and he, I, I guess he, he's been in the sport for so long, but he didn't knew that. Yeah. And he, for him, it just felt like like you're pushing a brother, not pushing, but you're like you're supporting, you're, you're, you're supporting a brother. Motivating. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like he's he's a military guy. He's he's been in the military in Chile for 20 years. So the way he felt it is like he's pre, like there's a wounded brother and he's carrying right. him right. Um, anyway, we I got disqualified. Um, it felt it felt horrible, but I knew from the moment that he that that Yon approached me, <coughs> I knew that was gonna happen. Like and, and even if it hadn't happened, it wouldn't have felt right. You know, right. it just it was a it was an awesome act of brotherhood of of of, of just yeah brotherhood. That's the yeah. word. You know, but it was not not right, and it didn't feel right. And I just said, you know, um, when they said you're disqualified, I said, yeah, perfect, no problem. I still have tomorrow. Yeah. But tomorrow was the very now it's all last on the line. day. Yeah, yeah, now it's all on the line because Peter did qualify that day. Peter, my friend from Tonga, so it was three yeah. of us, uh, and and I said, and, and they they were all looking at me the next day like, brother, it's it's all or nothing. The first day was ten kilometer race. It was easier. The next day it was a very hard, super hilly, all uphill. I mean, like literally all uphill, fifteen kilometer course, nine miles. Um, so woke up in the morning feeling good. Went on to the race, gave it everything I had, and uh, and made it to the Olympic Games. <laughs> made it to Olympic Games the last, awesome the story. very last minute. But you know what? It was even uh, even more impressive is that the day before when Peter qualified, we got to carry him and you know celebrate with him. And as as our friends were qualifying, we would carry them and you know we would do this little celebration. A storm was announced, even bigger than the one when we landed in Iceland, they almost prevented, prevented us from getting to the race. So this got really interesting because they announced it and these guys did have a way back. They did have a ticket back. I didn't have anything. So yeah. for me, we, I could have I could just stayed there. You're in Iceland. Yeah, we could have <laughs> just stayed there for another week. Who cares? I don't have a ticket back. Uh, but these guys had to get back to the airport. So um, when I finished the race, they already had the car packed. They already had everything. Yeah. So instead of carrying me to celebrate, they carried me to put me in the car. Like <laughs> like like they open the they open the trunk and like here you go, buddy. Make yourself comfortable. So when you qualified, what happened with the Mexican government? Did they did they ever come around and say, okay, we want you to be part of the? We're gonna. Well, we, how many athletes from Mexico competed? Four, and I was the only Mexican Mexican. Okay. The other, um, the other were um, Americans that um, got the Mexican nationality because they had a relative yeah. up the chain or down the chain, whichever right. way you want to look at it. And uh, they were that was their way acquire. to get there. Yeah, exactly. So you you were born and raised. Born and raised. Right. Yeah, exactly. So awesome. So did they come around? They're like, okay, hey, no, we well, didn't so, realize. No, well, so um, yeah, yeah, I did have to call them and say, hey, I qualified, and uh, and they said, well, we need to wait until the until the um the um, because what happens is that they tally up the points, they verify that the points are real, and then they publish a list of, of who's in and who's not, and then they send them to the Olympic National Olympic Committees and their federations, and they need to either accept or reject the invitation to go to the Olympic Games. Um, so I call them, and I was like, hey, it's open. Please click on, an, on, on accept. They didn't have to do nothing, just accept it. Um, and, then, and then once I was accepted... A different entity, which is not the government, it's uh, the National Olympic Committee, um, the Mexican Olympic Committee, comes in, and, and once you're once you're under that umbrella, you're you're in good hands. So they took care of you. Oh yeah, yeah. As soon as as soon as you're qualified, as soon as you're an Olympic athlete, your National Olympic Committee takes care of you, and that's 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 a different right. Herman, I'm I'm so impressed with the dedication, the you know, persistence, the will you had to make it happen. I think that so many of us in so many different areas of our life, um, one little thing happens and we get discouraged and, and, and we stop doing it. Uh, injury, uh, money, going to countries you would have never traveled to in order to make it happen, That that's just 
so impressive. Uh, I'm, I'm in awe of all that you did to make your Olympic dream come true. Seven, 17 different countries. Wow. So tell me year. about the Olympics. Um, you get there. What was your Olympic experience like? And I think you carried the flag. If I'm yeah, mistaken. I was the flag bearer for Mexico. Yeah. Um, I did it uh, wearing a charro suit, a, an official charro competition suit. So it was uh, the suit. When, when, when they gave me the suit, I, I borrowed it from a friend. And when he gave me the suit, he I saw the suit and I was like, man, this looks really awesome. I'm like, how much does this thing go for? And he said, um, just a hat, about two thousand dollars. And I said, holy, I don't think I want this. <laughs> like, you made sure you had a, I, a return plane ticket. Yeah, that time, should right? I? Yeah, yeah, should I ask about the rest? And uh, no, yeah. So the rest was a little more expensive than yeah. the hat. So I was carrying a, a five thousand dollars suit with me, uh, wow. which made it. I was, I was, I was freaking out. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you a very quick story. Uh, on the way back, uh, one day I, I woke up and, and and thought that I had left the hat and the suit in a plane, and I woke up just like panicking trying to call the airline and uh and uh as soon as i stood up i saw it right there and i was like okay good <laughs> so yeah the, the so the experience was um the experience of a lifetime it was um the, the the qualifying period was so hard that my body was just breaking down uh, when we got there um as an athlete you know you train for something you peak and then after you peak um your fitness just starts going down you know you can't double peak in in less than a month uh, three weeks so that's what happened I picked for 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 the qualification period I tried to I try to maintain it high and by training hard I thought I was going to be able to maintain it but my body just started breaking down but you know thankfully um the experience had other the, the life and and uh and the, the Olympic Games had different plans for me um I carried the flag that was a, an incredible experience and after that um the day of the race I had a I had the worst day, athletic day of my life, and uh, but what happened at the end? You know, when we sit, when when these guys waited for me to celebrate, they knew I was I wasn't feeling bad. I wasn't feeling good. They knew I was feeling bad because because I should have passed the most of them uh, along the way, and I didn't. These are people so you had been competing with to try to qualify. Exactly, they all knew and each other. Yeah, and Peter, my friend, and uh, and uh, Sebastian, my friend from Colombia, and then uh, Kikwin, my friend from Portugal, uh, my friend from Morocco. And uh, Samir, and yeah, it was it was it was it was pretty obvious that something was wrong. So they waited for me at the finish line. When I crossed the finish line, and again, like the 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 Olympic race was, it was just a, a throwback of everything that had gone wrong or everything that had happened during the qualification period. It was a throwback of my life, like not being able to have kids for eleven years, and then all of a sudden you have triplets. Uh, you know, you you want to try to practice a new sport and you can uh, and then you fall off the bike and then you finally start and it's all uphill well the, the Olympic race was just a, a deja vu it was just a, re a repetition of all those things um, we got to the um, we got to the I got to the end and and that uh, those guys were really excited and we celebrated life we celebrated accomplishment we celebrated that we never gave up um, Peter was there waiting for me and I told him a phrase that we kept on repeating to each other <clears throat> during the whole qualification period which was we live to red, we live to fight another day, and so I saw Peter. I hugged him and I said, "Brother, we fought another day." And he hugged me and he said, "No, brother, we fought till the end." That's right, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, tell me, uh, was that your last Winter Games? Are you gonna stick with it and try to qualify in four years? Well, Eddie, if you've learned anything about <laughs> me, <laughs> is that I, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, know. Like, of course, I'm gonna try to awesome. qualify. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm gonna also, I'm gonna continue with uh, my Ironman career. Um, I think one helps you with the other. I'm sure. Not necessarily. No, so no, they're different. I, no, different they, sports I, entirely. Actually, Ironman hurts uh, cross-country skiing a lot. Wow. Because okay. uh, Ironman, Ironman is is um, a different heart zone. You have to get yourself used to not not your heart not going up too high, um, so you can have enough energy f to keep it steady for for ten hours, eleven hours for the full Ironman duration. And in cross country ski, what you want is you want explosiveness. You want to just you want everything firing at the same time, arms, core, legs, hair, fingernails. Everything has to be in sync and just fast, fast. What what is a a typical time for a, a cross-country skiing race well all my times for those 15 kilometers were 50 51 minutes oh okay compared to 
11 hours yeah exactly okay yeah. so it's a it's a much shorter mm-hmm. period it's okay. a much shorter period yeah so to you an endurance athlete that's like a sprint that's know? more than a sprint yeah, yeah that you're just whew. yeah right. and 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 the nature of the sport um when you're running your your heart rate stays uh, it goes pretty high right but you like on a run on a 10k running my heart rate typically goes to like 170 172 in cross-country ski it goes all the way up to 185 wow max okay. yeah different sport Got it, mm-hmm. got it. So let me ask you this, uh, and I talked to this with our friend Jeremy. You know, when when most of us are relaxing on a Saturday, barbecuing, watching sports, watching a movie, you're out training for six, seven, eight hours if it's an Ironman, and I'm sure something similar as you're preparing for the Olympics. Uh, so many people make it, and, and you still have triplets, you're still running a business, you're still a husband, you're still doing all these other things. Um, Despite all those responsibilities, you're training to be the very best you can. And you know, in our business, we run into people who tell us, oh, I just don't have time to work out, uh, which I don't accept anymore. I think things you make a priority, you will accomplish, whether it's being a great dad, whether it's a great businessman, a man of God, whatever it may be. If you make it a priority, you will get it done. What drives you, if you could just tell us in, in your final thought and what could you say to others when you're on that bike you got four kids maybe it's a trainer and you're in your living room or you got three kids excuse me running around you're tired uh there's other responsibilities you know you're leaving unattended what keeps you going what is that that internal drive that maybe you can spark a similar fire in someone else and share with our listeners that makes you want to go through everything you just told me you did and get back there in four years? It's definitely love. It's definitely happiness. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly in the pursuit of happiness and, and whatever makes me happy, I'm gonna keep on doing it. Um, I look for those things that make me smile and I try, re- I try to repeat them and then I also try to, to, try to pass them on. Um, and it's definitely love. When I I, I never understood when people said, well, I'm, I'm doing this for my kids. And then I would, my first thought would be like, well, if you're doing it for your kids, just be with your kids. You don't have to be away from them. But then uh, when you realize the example you're setting for them, um, what you're telling them, the things you're going to try to tell them with words, and you're setting the example, you're like, I did it. I don't have to tell you. It's I did it. Um, it's that love for them. It's that, uh, and then it's just that, 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 that fire of not giving up, of, of knowing that uh, that I can always go after my dreams and and that I don't have to settle, that I can that I can always fight. You know, it's it's just that drive, um, and that's what makes me wake up every day. So it's basically happiness and love. Well, uh, congratulations on on all your success. I can't wait to see you know your your future successes in Ironman, your future successes in. Um, cross-country skiing uh, I'm sure are you going to continue to compete because I, I think every year they have world championships they have different things are you going to stay steady steadily on that circuit or are you going to kind of shift back to Ironman and wait till maybe a year out from the Winter Olympics no 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 I'm definitely going to continue um I'm going to try to qualify for the world championships in Seville, Austria next year awesome. um so that one that one's important uh and then uh, I'm going to try to get that that ticket punched um this 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 summer in south america and uh and of course i'm going to continue with cross-country ski i I have some uh endurance uh, goals in cross-country ski as well and i'm probably just gonna a little bit you know just very quickly uh, because somebody might have the question so I didn't have a bike to go to Kona. Oh, yeah, That's yeah. why I didn't okay. do good in Kona. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to uh, I had to look for a used bike that yeah. I could take to Kona, and I literally got the bike. Uh, I think it was two weeks before Kona. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So uh, so you know like um, you you sacrificed a little bit there to accomplish your. Uh, Olympic dream exactly and uh, I'm sure when you get back to Kona not if when you get back to Kona I'm sure you'll make it up oh yeah I'm gonna make it up so awesome. yeah so that's that that's the goal you know we're gonna continue continue with triathlon but a little bit on a on a, on a side kind of like not 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 being the most important thing in my life right now uh, the most important other than my wife and my kids right. um, that's the most important thing in my life but uh, aside from that um, cross-country ski has priority number one right now running priority number two and uh and triathlon will have to 
to uh, take the back seat. And now I'm still going to do it. I, st- I have an Ironman in seven weeks in California. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, right. Well, you you look phenomenal, man. It thank looks you. like you can fly. So that Ironman, you said in California? Yeah, Santa Rosa. I, is that a, a Kona qualifier? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's awesome. I think you're going to do it right there. No, 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 definitely not. <laughs> I, I, I still need a bicycle. <laughs> I, I still right. don't have one. Well, uh, come see Herman and his team here at Valley Running Company. Uh, give us the address, partner. I want I want to promote your business because it's a beautiful place. I think I'm going to grab a pair of shoes on the way out. To my wife dismay, I think I own like 20 pairs of tennis shoes, but I like them. So t- tell <laughs> us where you. you're at. Uh, 1701 West Dove, um, it, right next to Gold's Gym. And uh, on the corner of Bicentennial and, and Dove. Awesome. Awesome. In McAllen. Everyone, it's been uh, an honor bringing Herman to the show. Please keep tuning in. We have a lot of great guests. Um, and, and Herman, again, man, I'm, I'm an instant fan. I hope we can stay in touch. I want to learn all about how it goes in seven weeks and, and beyond. I think you're an inspiration to uh, those around you. I know that you're using this as a platform to visit schools and encourage children to to reach for their dreams and live healthy lifestyles. It's great that people like you are using your passion and making businesses out of it like this, like my wife and I are doing. Um, You and I talk about this being such an unhealthy region of, of the country, but things are changing. I know they're doing great things in McAllen, but in Brownsville, amazing things as well farmers markets hike and bike trails on and on and on we're we're even bringing nutrition into the colonias and teaching people who may not have the resources to to learn on their own how to eat organic or cook fresh fruits uh, and vegetables are, are learning because of the charity work of, of great groups but the future is bright for south texas thank you for being a role model and to all our listeners keep living an all-out life <laughs>